Well, good morning. I'm glad to be with you again as we continue our series on heaven and hell. Uh, We are going to be talking about heaven this morning. I was thinking this week about my gratitude that there are things that I can do well. There are some abilities that the Lord has given me, some things I can do well, uh, but there are other things that I don't do so well. And uh, one of the, the skills that I never have been able to master is organizing space, having an organized desk or an organized office. Uh, this is a picture of my desk from a couple years ago. This is pretty typical. Uh, this is actually relatively neat, to be honest with you. Uh, I try, and I know that probably after the message, a few of you, you've got a system, you've got some sort of four-plan system that will organize my life. I promise you, I've tried it, and I've failed it. Uh, That is just, it's a struggle that I have. Uh, Another photo, this is typically what my bookshelves kind of look like. I know some of you want to weep when you see this. Uh, And uh, in fact, a couple of months ago, My kids came to my office for a little while. They visited, and after they had left, I noticed that uh, some of my shelves looked like this. Uh, My 10-year-old daughter just couldn't stand it that the shelves were in disarray, and so whenever I walked out of the room, she took it upon herself to line them up square so that they would sit that way. I actually have tried to keep it that way since she left. Some of you know, if you came into my office, you just feel it in your, in your gut, you would do this, right? Or you, every time we would be talking, you'd be thinking about those shelves and going, somebody needs to fix that and fix his life. All right, some of you are perfectionists, right? You live in a state of constant frustration, perhaps, because the world is not perfect like you wish it was. So if I came up this morning and I had a button that was cattywampus, or I had a shoelace untied, you would be unhinged and unable to focus on anything else I was saying. If you are a perfectionist, I know the world is a cruel place to you, because it's not like it's supposed to be. And it's not just small things that are out of place. It's really big stuff that's out of place. Right? Because our relationships don't work the way relationships are supposed to work all the time, do they? There's misunderstanding and selfishness and frustration. Our bodies don't work the way our bodies are supposed to work all the time. We get sick. We get old. And we struggle with the shadow of death. And our world doesn't work the way our world is supposed to work. We grieved this week at the news out of Florida of another shooting and another series of seemingly senseless Deaths. We grieve whenever we read the news about another natural disaster that claims lives too soon. Whether you're a perfectionist or not, you have had the thought at some point that the world is not like it's supposed to be. It just doesn't seem right. Something's broken and you want it to be fixed. Now, the reason I bring that up this morning is because every time we have that feeling, I think deep in our heart, what we are longing for is heaven itself. 
Every time we have that thought, look, things aren't like they were supposed to be. Here's what we're recognizing. There is some way the world is supposed to be. But it's not that way. And so we, I think, have these vague memories, even deep in our souls, of the way God made the world to be. You go back to Genesis 1 and 2, and you see that God made a world where there wasn't sin, and there wasn't death, and there wasn't relational conflict, and there wasn't natural disaster, and there wasn't violence. And we say, I want that again. But ever since the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God, ever since that time, Not only are we broken and imperfect, but the world itself is broken and imperfect. And so we long for redemption. This morning, we're going to talk about the subject of what is heaven like? What is heaven like? As we long for heaven and as we long for redemption, what are we looking forward to if we know Jesus Christ? Now, if you were here last week, you remember we began with the discussion of what happens when we die. So as we move forward into the talk about heaven itself, I want to make a distinction between the heaven we talked about last week and what we're going to spend most of our time talking about this week. Because as you look at the scripture, it's clear that heaven comes sort of in two phases, all right? I don't mean like two levels of heaven or something like that. What I mean is this, that there are two stages. In other words, there is a heaven, we talked about it last week, that we go to when we die. So when you and I die, if we die before Jesus comes back, we will go to heaven. That's the present heaven, right? Paul would say in Philippians chapter 1, that it is better to depart in his view and be with the Lord. Paul fully expected that at the moment he died, he would go to be with Jesus because he believed in Jesus right now. We saw that as we read Luke chapter 16 last week. If you remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, these two men who died and one goes to be with God and one goes to be separated from God in Hades. But immediately upon death, they go somewhere, right? So there is a present heaven and it's a wonderful place where we are with Jesus and we won't die again. We won't experience the effects of sin and violence again, right? But there is also, as you look at the scripture, a future heaven. And I think all too often when we talk about heaven, we neglect this discussion of the future heaven. That here, here's the thing. When you look at the Bible in the very end of the Bible, in Revelation, Chapters 21 and 22. You know what happens is heaven actually comes here. Heaven actually descends to earth. And what we see at the very end of scripture is a recreated, renewed heavens and earth that are not just like they were in the Garden of Eden, but better. Because never again will will there be sin or death. Never again will there be separation between us and God. Look at Revelation chapter 21 for a moment. John wrote, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I like how after he says this, he says, Hey, John, grab a pen. Pay attention. This is important. The day is coming when heaven will come here and the earth itself will be like it was supposed to be. We will be like we were supposed to be. So we will never again have that feeling in our hearts that says, this isn't right. That's what we're talking about this morning. And here's where I hope that we will land by the time we get to the end of this message, is that as we look around our world and we see sin and devastation and violence and frustration because our world seems all wrong, as we see all of that, what I pray that we will do is not only walk into that world and reflect the hope of Jesus Christ. Say, hey, there is a way to experience freedom from sin and death forever, right? To walk into the world and proclaim the gospel, but also to place our hope in the coming kingdom of God. To say, you know what? My hope is not ultimately that I will build the best career, that my body will work perfectly, that my marriage or my relationship with my kids or my parents or my roommates or the world around us will be perfect right now, right? We pray that God will move and we reflect the Spirit of God, but ultimately our hope, ultimately our hope is right here, that Jesus Christ is coming back. So let's look for a few minutes. What does the Scripture say that world will be like when we get there? What is heaven like? A few characteristics. First one is this. We will have perfect bodies. We will have perfect bodies. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for a moment. The Apostle Paul wrote this, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Now what Paul is talking about here is that time when he says we will actually rise from the dead. He says if Jesus rose from the dead first, we know we will rise from the dead if we believe in him. He says so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. In other words, you go into the earth like a seed, dead, and you come out alive imperishable. You'll never die again. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, he's not saying that the spiritual body is not physical. Instead, he's saying we will one day have a body that perfectly relates to God in spirit. No separation between us and God. I don't know. Maybe you have at some point in your life looked in the mirror and thought, I wish something was different. There's some er I would like to attach to the adjective surrounding me, right? Tall er, that'd be me, right? Strong er, handsome er, pretty er, healthy er, slim er, whatever it may be, you have some sense of what your body ought to look like, right? And so you see this and you say, all right, perfect bodies, right? I'm choosing Brad Pitt's body. That's what I want when I get to heaven. That's not what this is talking about. Sorry to disappoint. 
But instead, when the scripture says we will have a resurrected and perfect body, here's what it means. Your body will work like it was supposed to work. But in other words, I think when we, when we get a resurrection body, when we're resurrected from the grave, we'll go, oh, this is me like I was supposed to be. This is how it was supposed to be. I won't get sick anymore. I won't feel overly tired anymore. I won't have to fear death anymore. I won't feel pain anymore. All of those things that keep us from being as healthy and hopeful as we want to be, those things will be gone. I also believe we'll be freed from that constant tendency that we have to compare the way we look to other people. Right? Because we'll say, this is how God made me to be, and I can rejoice in a God who is so good. As you move throughout the New Testament, what you see is, is hence that the body that we will receive will actually share characteristics with the resurrected body of Jesus. That after Jesus rose again, we can see what his body was like, and our body will be somewhat like that. The book of Philippians says this, Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Right, So if you want to know what your resurrected body is going to be like, one way to think about that is to go, what was Jesus' resurrected body like? Right, and, and one of the things that you see is that there was both continuity and discontinuity between his pre-resurrected body and his post-resurrected body. What do I mean? Well, there, there was some discontinuity, certainly. Jesus was able, for example, to pass through closed and locked doors. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 24... Uh, Jesus does something a couple of times in that chapter that he does repeatedly after his resurrection. The disciples will be huddled up in a room kind of afraid because they're afraid that now their leader is gone and what's going to happen to us. And all of a sudden, Jesus will just pop into the room and go, peace be with you, right? And, and, he, and he says it, and it says almost every time he does it that they feel anything but peace. They're terrified. And you can't help but read it and go, I kind of think Jesus enjoyed that. <laughs> he could move through solid walls. And yet at the same time, there is some continuity. People recognize him. People go, oh yeah, that's, that's Jesus. There are still scars in his hands and his feet from where he was crucified. One of the more interesting ones too in Luke chapter 24 is after he freaks out the disciples, and then they kind of calm down. He goes, hey, it's, it's me. He goes, anybody got a snack? Something to eat? And they break off a piece of broiled fish, and they give it to him, and he eats it, and he digests this fish. He's able to eat. He's solid. You can touch him. He's not just a spirit. Right? So when we think about our resurrected body, what we're talking about is a body that is similar to what we have. You'll recognize it as a body, but a whole lot better. A whole lot better. Now, the reason I belabor this particular point is because all too often in the songs that we sing and in the way that we talk about heaven, we think about it being disembodied. We mentioned briefly last week that in a lot of popular culture, the images of heaven are people who are spirits, right? No real bodies floating around in space somewhere nonspecific with, without a body. 
But that's not the way the scripture presents our ultimate destiny. We'll be embodied. Uh, I ran across a Christian song a few years ago about what happens in heaven. And I thought it was interesting because without realizing it, the individual had, had sort of strayed into this disembodied perspective of heaven. Song says this, I'm a soul with a body of my own. And there's a time I'll lay this body down. When I go, don't mourn for what is lost, but rejoice for what is found. And if the devil wants to come for me, I'll tell him to his face, you can have my body, but you cannot have my soul. In the heavens, I'll be singing songs of hallelujah. You can have my body, but you cannot have my soul. No, you cannot have my soul. Right, And ultimately, we understand what he's trying to say, that he's trying to get at the concept that even death cannot claim the one who believes in Jesus. But here's the problem. The devil doesn't own our body or our soul. Jesus owns it all. And so the day will come. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise. Rise from their graves to life everlasting. We were designed to be body and spirit together. And one day we will again. All right, so in heaven, we will have perfect bodies. Secondly, in heaven, we will have perfect relationships, perfect relationships with God and one another. One of the most frustrating things about engaging in relationships in this world that is fallen and sinful and broken is that other people are frustrating. Right? Have you ever tried to be in a relationship with somebody else and you just have a hard time understanding them, understanding what's going on? Anybody who has ever entered into a dating relationship has discovered the confusion that can often ensue. Anybody who is married knows the confusion. One of the first hints that I got when Shannon, my wife and I, were dating that relationships can be really confusing. It happened, we've been dating maybe... I don't know, a month, something like that. And one night we were sitting at a coffee shop here in town, actually. And I just began to think in my head, this would be a good moment for a little bit of physical contact, right? Just kind of put my arm around her as we sit here at this coffee shop. So I worked up my courage and I did it. I put my arm around her shoulder and it sat there for just a minute. And after a couple of minutes, Shannon said, hey, your arm is around me. And I said, yes. Yes, it is. And she goes, you did not uh, ask if you could put your arm around me. And it was amazing how quickly the arm moved back over to my side of the sofa. And I sat there for a minute. I thought, at this point, why not? I go, can I put my arm around your shoulder? She goes, yes, you may. And so I did, right? And I walked away from that and I thought, what just happened? I'm so confused, right? And it would not be the last time that I would have that feeling. Those of you who are dating, those of you who are married, you know that feeling, right? Sometimes it's a comical confusion. Sometimes it's a deeply frustrating and angering confusion because you have two people who have selfish desires and when those come into conflict, man, it's frustrating. And it's not just romantic relationships, is it? It's relationships with our parents, with our children, with our roommates, with our professors, with our friends. Our relationships are frustrating and hard. You know why? 
because we are sinful. And most of all, what we think about is ourselves. And so we long for a day when relationships won't be like that. And the scripture presents a picture of heaven in which we will have perfect relationships, right? Perfect relationships, first of all, with God, right? All too often, even our relationship with God feels strained and distant. Why? Because we struggle with guilt and sin and shame and we're far from God. But the scripture says in heaven, we will be known by God perfectly. First Corinthians chapter 13, for we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. But then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. The day is coming when the level of connection we have with God will exceed what we can even imagine. So our relationship with God will be restored. Because the sin in our hearts will be removed once and for all. And our relationships with others will be restored. Because what separates us right now is sin. And that sin will be gone. There are pictures uh, that the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament sort of paints about the kingdom of God. And I want to read a couple of these passages from Isaiah. Isaiah says, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine. Choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. Now, the last time I preached this, somebody came up and said, I noticed that he mentions wine a couple of times. But that's actually not the primary point. Let me read one more passage, and I think you'll get it here. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, listen to this, yet others will I gather to them, to those already gathering. What is he saying? He's saying that all of the nations of the earth From all the nations of the earth, there will be men and women who know Jesus, who will come and gather together around a big table, and they will eat face-to-face without animosity or conflict. If you've been watching the Olympics, obviously they're in South Korea, and it was a big deal that they invited who? The North Koreans, because they don't get along. And what Isaiah would say is in the kingdom of God, there will be North Koreans and South Koreans and Russians and Americans and Chinese and Africans and people from every nation on earth, even nations that are enemies. Aggies and T-Sips will sit across the table in peace. Because the sin that separates us has been removed. And so we will experience a level of relationship with God and with others like we've never experienced before. So we'll have perfect relationships, perfect bodies, perfect relationships. So that right now, when we look at the relationships in our lives and we say, you know what, my relationships are frustrating and hard and letting me down. I think we do two things. One, we pray, we say, God, allow me to be a reflection of your character and your kingdom. All right, in my own little corner of the world, I want to bring the Holy Spirit and his fruit and the character of Jesus Christ. I want to bring those things to bear in how I treat others around me because I want to reflect who he is. But I also recognize that I will run up against relational issues 
in a fallen world that, frankly, I can't fix. And so I will always live with a sort of tension between wanting things to be better and recognizing they won't be perfect until Jesus returns. And so I endeavor to follow Jesus in my relationships, but I place my hope in his kingdom. So perfect bodies, perfect relationships. Thirdly, perfect surroundings. Perfect surroundings. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, one thing you may remember is that when Adam and Eve, when the first man and woman disobeyed God, it wasn't just that Adam and Eve were cursed. But actually, the entire world was cursed. And you may remember that God says, look, Adam, now your work, it's going to be toilsome. It wasn't that they didn't work before the fall. They did. We'll talk about that in a moment. But but now the issue is your work is going to feel futile. It's going to feel hard. You're going to have to sweat and labor all day long just to bring a few crops up out of the ground. The snake is cursed and there's enmity between animals and humanity, between animals and one another. And the earth itself doesn't work like it's supposed to. So that Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament would say this, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. The whole creation, like like a a woman about to give birth, is in pain and says, I long for the day when the new creation will be born. I was just talking about this with somebody this morning, but this past week, I will admit um, complaining about the weather. Uh, Sometime around Monday or Tuesday, when it dropped down again into the 30s and 40s, I thought, I've had enough of the cold. I don't know when I leave my house. Is it going to be cold? Is it hot? Should I wear a jacket? What am I going to do? I argue with my 8-year-old son. He never wants to wear a jacket, so I have to have this argument, even though it feels pointless. And so I was frustrated with the cold weather. Maybe you were too. Maybe you you were like, you know, I moved to Texas Because I didn't want cold weather. But see, here's the thing. August is going to come around again. And you know what we're going to be saying in August? Dear Lord, let it cool down. Right? Just 10 degrees, 15. Just let it cool down a little bit. I hate that I live here where it's so hot all the time. It never feels like it is as it should be, does it? Several years ago, uh, many of you will remember that there was, there was a massive drought, a two or three year drought, followed by like a massive hurricane and monsoon season. And I remember thinking, why so many extremes? It's either crazy dry for years on end, or the heavens open up and flood us out of our homes. And we go, where's, where's the way the world ought to work? Why are there hurricanes? natural disasters, an intemperate climate, an inhospitable 
climate. And what we see scripturally is that, that the world doesn't function really like it is supposed to function. But one day it will. It's going to be restored to the conditions God created it for. It'll work like it's supposed to work. And I don't know what that means in terms of climate, what would make everybody happy. Right? Maybe you'll have your own internal thermostat that will just make you feel right all the time. But I do know the world will work like it's supposed to work. Not only that, but in fact, animals that don't get along with us right now, Isaiah says one day they will. Look at Isaiah's words. He says, the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. See, you do that now? CPS is coming over. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Perfect harmony in creation, and the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. I remember reading a few years ago, this is, this is true, somewhere around 2003, a man named Antoine Yates walked into a local emergency room with a bite on his leg. And uh, when he got to the emergency room initially, he told the doctors and nurses that he had been bitten by a dog. But as they looked at the wounds more closely, they realized that was unlikely because this was a huge bite. Something huge had bitten him on the leg. As they investigated further, they found that Antoine Yates was housing a 500-pound Bengal tiger in his fifth-floor Harlem apartment. He had purchased it as a cub, and it had grown up. Not only was there a tiger, there was a full-grown alligator. And what had happened was this. uh, He also took in a house cat at the same time. And uh, he tried to keep the tiger and the house cat and the alligator separated and had a hard time, as you would imagine. And uh, one day, the tiger lunged for the house cat, And Antoine Yates got in between them to save his cat from being a snack. Let me pause here for just a minute and say this. If this ever happens to you, let the cat go. It's just not that important. The tiger grabbed his leg, bit him on the leg. He managed somehow to free himself from the tiger's grasp and found himself in the emergency room. Ultimately, they had to send a SWAT team to his apartment to tranquilize the tiger and get it out and put it in a zoo. And later, they interviewed him. What in the world were you thinking? And there were multiple statements that came out of his mouth that were bordering on very irrational. Uh, One was, if giving love is a crime, then I guess I committed the greatest crime in the world. (laughs) And uh, my response to that is, it's not so much giving love that's a crime, it's housing a tiger (laughs) in your apartment. But the other thing he said that stuck out to me was this. They, They said, well, what were you trying to do? He said, I was trying to create the Garden of Eden in my apartment. And I read it and I thought, that's crazy. 
Because we're not in the Garden of Eden. And we're not yet in the kingdom of God. Yeah, a tiger will kill you. An alligator will eat your cat, given the opportunity. Because we're not there yet. But imagine living in a world where those things didn't happen. Where we have perfect surroundings. You don't have to fear nature. But we live in it peacefully. We don't have to fear even one another. Because there is no violence. And the earth itself won't turn on its citizens and hurt us. But it will always operate according to what is best for us. Because it is empowered and moved by a sovereign God at every moment. That's the picture we see of the coming kingdom of God. So perfect relationships, perfect bodies, perfect surroundings. Fourth and last, perfect occupations. Perfect occupations. I mentioned a few moments ago that that a lot of times when we think about Genesis 3, right, and God cursed Adam and Eve and the ground, and he says, look, it's going to bring up thorns and thistles, and you're going to struggle to produce from the earth. Often, here's what we think. Work is a curse, right? We think, look, they didn't have to work before they sinned, but now they have to work. That's actually not true. If you read carefully in Genesis 1 and 2, what you'll find, Adam and Eve had jobs. They were supposed to tend and care for the garden and take care of the animals and have dominion over the earth. What happened after they sinned was this, that it was really, really hard to do after that. So that the earth itself didn't cooperate with them, but it resisted them. So their jobs were tough. Work feels futile and often like a waste of time. I don't know if you've ever, maybe you've had a job that just felt like it was sucking away your soul day after day. One summer, I had a job in a law firm in Dallas. And uh, to my friends at the time, it sounded glamorous because I was inside in an air-conditioned office. And so I was reluctant to tell them what I actually had to do day in and day out in that law firm. On the first day of the summer, they took me into the file room, right? And I would estimate that the file room was probably about as big as this section of the auditorium and about as tall. And all of these files stacked floor to ceiling in large cabinets. And here's what they said. You need to go through all of the files this summer and find the ones that are older than like 1977 because we don't need them anymore. And bring it over here where there is a dumpster and a shredder and shred them. And so for eight hours a day, five days a week, I sat in a chair by a shredder and went that's all I did. There were days I just, I I thought, I'm just going to, I'm going to run to escape the misery of this job. There was zero skill, zero brain activity going on. It was terrible. Maybe you've had a job like that. Maybe you have a job like that right now. You get up in the morning and you think, I don't know how many more days I can stand this. More likely what you have is a job that is enjoyable sometimes and really terrible at other times. And you think, why can't I have the really good parts 
without the really bad parts. And the reason is because of the sinfulness and fallenness of the world. And yet the picture that is painted in Revelation of what we'll be doing in the kingdom of God is this, that we will have perfect occupations. You know what we'll be doing? Revelation chapter 7 says they are before the throne of God. What do do we do? They serve him day and night in his temple. Further in Revelation chapter 22, his bondservants, that's us, will serve him and they will reign forever and ever. We'll do two things. One, we will serve God as people worship him. We will be close to the glory of God and what he asks us to do will always have significance and value and joy. And then we'll reign with him. We will rule the earth together with the maker of the earth. And every day we will have a sense that what I do and who I am matters. Doesn't that sound awesome? Unbelievably good. A joyful gift from an infinitely giving God. And so that's the picture we have. Perfect bodies that work like they should. Perfect relationships vertically and horizontally. Perfect surroundings. A world where there's no decay, violence, death, or sin. And perfect occupations where we serve God. That's the picture that is painted of heaven when Jesus returns. So what do we do with that? As we move forward into our week, certainly we go, okay, I'm not there yet. So what does this have to do with my life right now? Let me offer a couple of thoughts as we close. First one is this. You place your hope in the kingdom of God. Place your hope in the kingdom of God. And let me elaborate on this point for just a moment. The first one is this. If you don't yet know God through Jesus, the, the, the message of this morning is simply this, that if you want to experience the world we've been talking about and you want to say, you know what, I've got hope for my future, but you don't know God through Jesus Christ. The first step for you this morning is to simply trust that Jesus died for your sin because you sinned against him and I sinned against him. Jesus died. He took the punishment for what we did. And then he rose again. And as we said earlier, if you trust in him, you too will rise again to live in this future perfect kingdom. But if you know him, let me focus for just a minute. What does it look like to place our hope in the kingdom of God? Because I think there are a couple of errors that we could make. One would be this, to say, you know what, heaven is coming, so let me just forget about all this stuff going on right now. So you go to that mediocre job and you go, why does it matter? I'm not going to shred the papers. I'll just sit here until 5 o'clock. Maybe Jesus will come back. That's not our calling. Because we have hope, we are called to be ambassadors of hope. To go into this sinful, fallen, broken, evil world and say, you know what? There's a better day coming. And in the meanwhile, through Jesus, you can know God and begin to move toward a better day, a better life, through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And as God's people submit to God's Spirit, I believe that begins to make an impact, not just on our families, not just on our places of work, but also in our communities and in our nation that desperately needs the good news. So we want to avoid that error of saying, look, none of this matters. But the other error we could make is this. We could say, if I can just fix X, Y, or Z, then I'll have hope. Then I'll be happy. If I can just get my parents to listen to me, if I can just get that 69 grade up to a 72, then my parents will listen to me. I can just get my spouse to hear what I'm saying and change their behavior appropriately. Or my kids. Or my boss. Or my friends. Then I'll have hope. And here's here's the problem. To a certain extent, we might be able to change or manipulate our surroundings to make them better. But eventually, if you haven't yet, eventually you're going to run up against a problem you can't fix. You're going to run up against an issue in your life that you can't fix. And you may pray about it, and you may do all you can do, and yet you hit a wall. And at that moment, that's where you're going to have to decide, where is my hope? Do I keep coming back to the promise that God is working all things for his good and his glory? And I know the day is coming when all sin and pain and relational difficulty will be gone. And so in the meanwhile, what do I do? I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. That even in the midst of this, there's hope. It's never hopeless for the person who knows Jesus Christ. It's never hopeless for the person who knows Jesus Christ because we always have hope of redemption. And so we lean our weight there when the things of this world crash under the weight of our hope. So we place our hope in the kingdom of God. And then last, we share that good news that heaven is coming. That heaven is coming. And God and Jesus Christ has provided a way for us to get there. Will we place our hope in his kingdom and then be ambassadors of that hope? Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for your word. We confess that all too often we place all the weight of our hopes for happiness and significance and joy in people who let us down, in jobs and in a world that will not fulfill our hopes. So, Father, help us. Father, we also recognize all too often that that the evil that we see out there is actually in us. It's in our hearts. And we struggle against sin, and sometimes we feel like we're not making any progress. And so we pray for your grace, and we pray for your spirit to move. And we praise you that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we ask that we would be men and women who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope of resurrection to our fallen, evil, and troubled world. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.